Heavenly Father, Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've given us to come here, your children, to come together and worship you and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much, for providing so perfectly. Thank you, Lord, that you are here with us now. We thank you, Lord, that you are here to help, to heal everywhere we hurt, empower us, to love us and to prosper us, and that we might go forth and help others with the same help we've received. So thank you, Lord, for opening up our hearts and minds to receive the precious manna from heaven. And let it take root and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, just some things that have been said already this morning, just very, very much how God is. I'll read you a quote from the tenth, the eve of 9-11, from a congresswoman from California. God bless She said, Mother Earth is angry. She's telling us, whether she's telling us with hurricanes on the Gulf Coast or fires in the West, whatever it is, that climate crisis is real and has an impact. Now, Someone asked this person about her hatred for our sitting president once, and she got very indignant. She didn't mention Christ, but she did say, I'm a Catholic. I don't hate anyone. I pray for him. Well, let me tell you, that statement right there is non-Christian statement. It's more close to a Wiccan or something like that. Mother Earth, they celebrate that sort of thing. All of God's creation. Beautiful creation. You know, there's a... There's a scripture, Romans 8. That might be more intact. I wonder what they would have said in the 1900 storm that blew away Galveston. Or if they had better forest management and those fires didn't happen every year. God bless. Romans eight twenty two and twenty three says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Listen, not only... Were human beings subjected to corruption that day in the garden, but the whole world. 
And what it's waiting and travailing for is the revealing of the sons of God. The return of our Lord Jesus. Our job is to get out into the harvest field, which is plentiful, and to find out what God already knows, which ones we're going to accept Him and which ones aren't. We don't know. Our job is just to love, share our testimony. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I'm telling you how important that is later. It's not out for everybody to preach, but it is for everyone to share. Jesus has to be shared, not shoved. Don't tell them what they need to do. Tell them what he's done for you and make them jealous. That's the one kind of jealousy that's good. Yes. I would say that God doesn't speak to me very Tavana ordered some more of my books today, so um, sorry that I'm out. Todd and they weren't here this morning. I was anyway. I was going to explain. I was. Uh, she was reading it and she was touched and she wanted me to send one to somebody. I wanted to explain to her, but anyway, if you read my book. There, you'll see uh, see a time when I not only heard his voice audibly, but he laughed at me. I saw him in another dream this week. And he is good. He is so good. All the time. Amen. Amen. Oh my goodness. You know. The wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus on your behalf is not something that anyone would ever want to have to endure. (laughs) You know what the worst sin in the world is? Not believing on Jesus. Not believing on Jesus. And after he had to come and do what he did, because we couldn't undo it, and die the way he did, and humble himself the way he did, so perfectly. Such a perfect example of humility and grace and strength, forgiveness. <clears throat> Don't you think God is justified in 
being a little upset for those who think he's just one of the ways. I do. But you know, we as children, we have a better covenant now, don't we? I say that all the time. We have a better covenant with better promises. Y'all know where that is in the Bible? Hebrews 8, 6. I just want to read that to you real quick. Because I want to share a couple things with you today. And I hope I hope I can do the Lord justice in what he's been sharing with me. I'm just I feel so full that I don't even know where to start. You'll see. Hebrews 8, 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. That's where I get that from. Have you ever read Hebrews? Read Hebrews and then read it a bunch more times. <clears throat> listen to it even. I can tell you how long it takes to listen to on the audio Bible. 30 minutes on the elliptical and 15 minutes folding clothes. It's a pretty long book. The old covenant was so inferior to what you have and what they all longed for, all the prophets of old. It was chiseled in stone to start with. That just on its face sounds a little cold and unyielding, doesn't it? Because it was. The relationship that they had for 1,500 years under the law was based on the law. Do good, get good, do bad, get beat. Pretty much. (laughs) Although it was always God's heart to be loving and merciful. He was trying to drive them to the end of themselves, in part. And they had to be taught over and over. It was a legal relationship with God. Imagine having a legal relationship with God that was based on your behavior. You don't want that, believe me. Now we have one that's placed in our hearts. It's not based on legal legalism or chiseled in stone. It's written on our hearts and it's based on a personal relationship with God. I'm not a son of God because I serve Him. I serve Him because I'm His son. You see the difference? We're not sons and daughters because of our behavior, but because of our birthright. Amen. Amen. If you're born again, if you don't have the Spirit of God, then He's not, you're not His. But we can fix that today. Amen. I want you to turn... To First Kings chapter 19. This is going to throw me so far off.
1 Kings chapter 19, because I think I'm pretty transparent with you guys most of the time, sometimes to my wife's shock and dismay. (laughs) But you know, when the Lord freed me from sin and death, he freed me from, from me. From my own ego and reputation. And he freed me from you. And you should be thankful for that. I don't mean that he freed me from loving you and caring for you. No, he empowered me to do that. But he freed me from your opinion. What I'm saying is you can be sure you're not going to get a 15 minute message guaranteed not to offend. I'm going to preach the word of God as he's shown it to me. Because it's only fair that you hear the truth. And if it's offensive to you, there's your opportunity. Amen? Andrew says, if it rubs you wrong, you're kind of like a cat. Just turn around and keep rubbing, right? The other direction. That's all repentance is anyway. Just changing your mind regarding something to do with God, which results in corresponding actions. Right? Doesn't faith have feet and lips? So James said, you show me your faith without works and I'll show you mine by my works. Tabana always says it has faith has feet and lips. But I struggle a lot of times. I have over my since I was a child. Rejection is the biggest issue that anybody deals with. I've seen it in prisons. I've seen it in boardrooms. I've seen it in courthouses. And I've seen it in crack houses. The number one thing that drives people to gangs and things like that is they're searching for a place where they belong. So rejection is a big issue. And I I was born with it. I didn't I've never known my dad. That's why I was so happy to find out I had one in heaven that loved me. But people have rejection issues. And I can almost tell you that probably 90% of the time I'm talking to someone helping them in some way it's always about rejection of some sort in some form. It's like pride it's like the layers of an onion, there's so many and it can be so concealed but I have uh, yesterday you know I, I stay busy and I And I've learned not to complain about it because if I do, God will say, well, some of that I didn't tell you to do. So unless you're ready to give up something, you better not complain about the time. Because if you say, Lord, I don't have time to do everything you asked me to do, you're a liar. Because he would be unjust if that were true. Amen. So even some of the things that we call good are not God. (laughs) Yesterday, I just 
I spent the whole day with the Lord and I I was I was just in the word and in the word and I had to get outside. I had to get outside. And I went and I went outside. And I found I reconnected with God um, through a little three-year-old girl and a butterfly. Because we have beautiful butterflies in our backyard because of the flowers that I put around for Tavana to see. And uh, our three-year-old granddaughter is the first person that I've ever seen that has friends that are butterflies. They come and land on her. She can't shoo them away. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And so I went inside and I, well, first I went over and I, I put some water on the fruit trees and I, and I watched them drink in the water and, and I watched them dance as they reached up to heaven to praise God and thank Him, you see. I noticed that. And I noticed that my hummingbird feeders were empty. And so I fixed that. And I went back inside. And I was praying in the Spirit. As I usually do. Because I don't know what to say. I went to the kitchen sink. And I looked out the little window there. And through the overgrown hibiscus. Or hot biscuits. Harper calls them. But bushes I saw that hummingbird feeder hanging there and there he was and I and I reconnected and I talked to him and fellowship with him the rest of the day and that's what happened to Elijah here in first Kings chapter 19. Elisha had done great things. I'm, please don't let me go there, Lord. I don't want to preach that story. That's not the message today. He had done a lot of great things, rare miracles. He provided miraculous food for the widow of Zarephath. He had done a God of great things. 450 prophets of Baal he killed with the sword, called down fire from heaven, so forth and so on. And then Jezebel, a woman, scared him, and he took off running and wanted to die. Oh, just kill me, Lord. Self-pity. Thought he was all alone. Sat under a broom tree. Anyway. (laughs) Long story short, he ended up at this mountain where the Lord told him to go. And I just wanted to show you this because it made me think of it. In uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. I don't know why I'm looking at chapter 16. But it's uh, verses 11 through 14. And it says here, And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. 
In Hebrew, it can be interpreted a gentle whisper or hardly a sound. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What dost thou hear, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? When God asks the question, it's kind of like when he asked Adam, Where are you? He, he, he already knows the answer. Amen. But he wasn't in the, the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake or the fire. We always expect something big from God, you know. If it's you, God, do this. It doesn't work that way, folks. You'll find him in a hummingbird and a butterfly. A whisper of wind. When you become still and know that he's God. Amen. He loves you. But he's not going to come to you on your terms. The whole purpose. One of the purposes. Of our Christian walk is to. To get over ourselves. <laughs> Uh, in Luke chapter 15 and I'm going to I'm not going to go anywhere else just, just try to stay right there I can't promise the Lord told me not to Luke chapter 15, is that what I said? Yes. <laughs> you know, this whole, this whole chapter is one parable. I know you think it's three, but it's one. And I just want to talk about it a little bit. Because I think it will bless you. And I think right now, people need to be encouraged as Christians their identity one of the one of the books on the back burner is is all about our identity crisis and i think maybe this will help but i just want to read this to you the parable of the prodigal son which is a very familiar story do yourself a favor and don't ever think that anything in the Bible is too familiar and that you already know that. It'll talk to you. Watch, it'll talk to you today. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of property that is coming to me. Give me my inheritance. In those days, it was like telling your daddy to go to hell, basically. Or telling him to drop dead. Because he wasn't supposed to get it until he died, you see? So I take that back about hell, but it's, it's basically saying, drop dead. 
Lord forgive me. And he divided his property between them, between both sons. He just did it. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey. He said, I'm out of here, right? Into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Prodigal living. Basically just means a lascivious lifestyle, basically sexual and drinking. We want to boil it down. He squandered all the property in reckless living, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed by the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he realized what a dummy he was. He said, how many of my father's hired servants, I want you to notice this, the hired servants, these aren't slaves, these are employees. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, he concocts this great story, he's going to go tell his dad. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But watch this, his father didn't even let him finish his speech. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He had to be watching. Can you just see? His broken hearted dad. Watching and waiting day after day after day. For his baby boy. Never gave up. Never gave up. Watching and waiting for him. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Remember this part where he's going to say, treat me like one of your... The, but the father... He interrupted him. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and what are these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has Kill the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has 
devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want to talk about the things that the father gave to this prodigal son. Because they are yours. Amen? As children of God. But you need to know it. You need to know it. Because there was two sons there and one of them didn't know it. But Isaiah 61.10 talks about... Oh, I wasn't supposed to go... Oh, Anyway, Isaiah 61.10, this is the chapter that Jesus read out of when he began his ministry. When he stood up in the temple that day and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. In, in verse 10, though, I want to... I have a problem with it. Anytime I turn to a, a, a scripture, I start preaching from there. <laughs> I'm the Lord's problem. And that's good with me. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. See, So the robe <coughs> represents righteousness. Righteousness, right standing with God. You've been justified. Just as if I had never sinned, you see. By the blood of Jesus Christ. And faith in that sacrifice. Amen? Amen? He didn't let him finish his story. He wasn't willing to hear about treating him like a hired servant. You know, Jesus said that the, the hired servant doesn't stay in the house forever, remember? But the son stays in the house forever. I don't have to go there, do I? All right. He did say it, I promise. Wait, he did say it. But you know, we have trouble entering that rest. And that's what we're called to do in Hebrews 4.10. The rest that Jesus has provided. You know, there are still churches out there that are dedicated to meeting on Saturday because that's the Sabbath day and so forth and so on. And it's like, what in the world are you doing? What in the world are you doing? That's Jesus fulfilled all that. He is the Sabbath rest. Have you entered into Him? I used to have a Saturday church. We met at Saturday at noon. No, Saturday at 5 o'clock. Congregation wasn't very big. No, we, we, we started meeting Saturday at noon because it was a shared church 
and they had their services on Sunday at noon, so we met Saturday at noon. And then we finally moved up to Sundays, but we had to meet at 5 p.m. because they couldn't get anybody to come to their evening service, so they just gave it to us. I couldn't either, you know. One time, oh, uh, oh, my mind went blank. Who? <laughs> the young couple that uh, from England that served with Andrew for so many years and still do, but they went off on their own uh, with the little girl that was Ashley and Carly. There it is. So, so he came to. He was at the service over at that church one day at the the 5 p.m. service. <laughs> he came. He. I was up in, in Colorado one day. He said, you want me to come to your chair? I said, yeah, man. And he came, and, and it took us an hour and a half to get into the church because it had been, <laughs> it's a bad part of town. It, there was a, when I got there and opened the door, there was a robber in there. <laughs> and good thing, I thought I heard him in the kitchen, but he was the other way because I went toward the kitchen, and thankfully he was the other way and made an exit out the back but the police had to come and the dogs and all that stuff. He never came back. <laughs> uh, we gave him a good gift, too. No, we're still friends. He's like, I am, brother. We need to stop struggling for position for power, for prosperity, for purpose. And we need to just rest in Him because that's where all that stuff's at. It's hard to do. That's why the Scripture says, struggle to enter the rest. (laughs) It's a kingdom of opposites. Have you noticed that? I don't have enough to meet my need. Okay, give us some of what you have away. Huh? (laughs) Lord rebuke you, Satan. (laughs) It's true, though. And Jesus said, if you don't understand that, you're not going to understand any of the other parables I tell. So, you need to get your mind around that one. The law of sowing and reaping. You know who is easier to explain that to? Farmers. They get it. I got 90 acres and we're about to sow in wheat. Half of my place up in North Texas, for we just use it for the cattle to graze on. But those farmers up there, they, they get sowing and reaping. They understand it. They may not do it spiritually, but they, it's not hard to make them understand. It's like when I'm talking to lawyers, I can turn the, 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 the message to, to a legal thing. And they get that, you see. But we need to stop struggling. And that's what God tells me over and over and over. <clears throat> Yesterday I was struggling in my soul. And I said, Lord, the Lord, you're my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He lead me beside the still waters. He restore my soul. I'm going to stay right there, Lord. Until you restore my soul. Because I need to hear you. Because if you want me to feed your children. I have to be fed. 
and that's when that's when he started talking to me with butterflies and hummingbirds at first. But you know, the next thing that he gave that boy was a ring. You know, the ring represents authority. And you see this throughout the Bible. Uh, I could prove it up to you through Scripture. There's a lot of witnesses about the signet ring. I think of Zerubbabel. God said, I'll make you as my signet ring. In other words, I'm going to give you anointing and position and authority to in my name. You see? And in Genesis uh, 41, uh, Pharaoh gave a signet ring, a ring of authority to Joseph, didn't he? Made him second in command. And Esther chapter 8, that brave woman saved the whole nation of Israel by being obedient to God. And then the king told her, write the letter in my name, use my name, and seal it with my ring. That means it's you can't undo it. Amen? Ring of authority. Put that on his hand. Authority is something that Christians need to understand. First of all, all authority is delegated, and it comes from God. Jesus understood this. The centurion, the Roman centurion understood it in Matthew chapter 8. That's why Jesus said he had great faith. But you know what he understood? He understood the authority that he wielded, this Roman centurion, because he was under authority. He had been given that authority by the Roman government and because of that all the men under him responded to whatever he commanded you see and he recognized that in Jesus in a spiritual way which was unusual and he called it out and Jesus said basically wow <laughs> that's awesome great faith we have authority in Christ, and we need to learn to walk in it. It's it's imperative in these last days, these end times, that Christians uh, are adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit and walk in love and power and victory, anointing, because there's a lot of tares that the enemy has sown into the church. And there are going to be some occasions where it's like you throw down your rod and I'll throw down mine and we'll see. And if you grew up like a lot of folks in a church that their creed said they believed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, but it was really Father, the Son, and the Holy Who? Because they didn't give Him any credit and they didn't allow Him in their church, you see. So, it was dead hands being laid on to dead heads. 
You have to have faith for the Holy Spirit. Without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we don't have anything. We can't do anything on our own. Jesus said it's good. It's important. It's necessary that I leave because at the time he was the only anointed person in the world. (laughs) And he could only be in one place at one time. He said, if I go, then the helper is going to come. And he can be with all of you believers all the time. Remind you of everything that I've said. And teach you and guide you. And lead you all the way through this life until your final destination with your heavenly bridegroom. Amen? Amen. The authority that Christians have... Remember in Luke 9, Jesus gave authority to the, the disciples, the twelve, right? And you say, well, and that was over all the works of the enemy. To heal the sick, cast out demons. You say, well, that's the, that was the disciples, that wasn't me. Well, you got to keep reading. Because the next chapter, in uh, the 10th chapter, he gave it to 70 baby Christians. Why do I know they were baby Christians? Well, well, I'm, I'm very close, so I'm just going to back up a couple pages. Luke chapter 10, and I'll show you. Verse 17 through 21. After he had given these 72, it says the 72 returned. After they had gone out and ministered, after he'd given them authority, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, Wow, really? <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't say that. <laughs> he, he, he wasn't surprised at all. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And he's not talking about creepy crawly things. He's talking about demons, okay? And over all the power of the enemy. Not over the devil. Don't go talking to the devil and bossing him around. He has every right to be here right now. He has some of his demons here in this room. They're not very close to me. But there are angels of God here too. You see, he's in charge here for a while until Jesus returns. That's why we need to be out doing God's work. The harvest field is plentiful, but the workers are few. But you know, even after Jesus comes back, we're going to rule and reign here with him for a thousand years. And and, uh, that devil, he's going to be put away somewhere. And then he's going to be turned loose again. And you know, he's going, to, he's going to convince more people. Even after Jesus and we've been here ruling and reigning with him for a thousand years, there's still going to be people that deny him. I just, I don't know why I like that song. Why you ever chose me. It's always been a mystery. 
All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, all the never get it right. But it turns out we're the ones you were looking for all this time. Amen. I want to talk to you about this authority. Because it's important that you walk in this authority. And it's important that you understand how to walk in authority. Because you can walk outside of authority. You've been given... you. The thing that compelled you, this evil concupiscence, this overwhelming desire to do evil, was taken away from you. That old sin nature is gone if you've truly been born again. Now you have nothing compelling you to be disobedient to God. But you still have the ability. That's that free will that He gave you. And He's not going to hinder that. He'll protect that free will all the way to hell if you so choose. That's not His will for your life. But I want to tell you three things that can interfere with that authority that you have been given. If you'll walk in it. One is what we talked about last week, pride. I told you about the preacher that said if he only had one message to preach, it'd be on pride. But he just wouldn't have anybody in his church. (laughs) But we have to walk in humility. Jesus is our perfect example like we showed last week and... We all understand that. Anytime we start getting proud or bitter or angry or unforgiving, just look at Jesus on the cross. Look at Him forgiving those who crucified Him and mocked Him and spit on Him and gambled for His clothes and crucified Him and left Him there suspended between heaven and earth, rejected by both temporarily. He still loved them and forgave them. Until you've gone that far, you haven't gone far enough. Amen. Unforgiveness, bitterness, pride, not an option for a Christian. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That was the first sin. It wasn't in the Garden of Eden. It was in heaven against God. It was committed by Lucifer, a beautiful, anointed head of the praise and worship team. (laughs) So you've been given authority over the works of the devil. Pride will interfere with that. And so will unbelief. We have to walk in faith. We must walk in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Amen? Why? Because anything else dishonors God. It does the same thing that the enemy was trying to do in the garden with Adam and Eve. To cast aspersions on God's goodness. On His Word, on His integrity. So when we walk in unbelief, instead of faith, we're doing the same thing. It dishonors God. It brings Him great joy to see His children walk in faith. Especially the higher the heat gets turned up, And the more you stand and then stand again, you stand firm. I guarantee you, he's watching and he's saying, look at my baby. Look at my baby. It's not something you try and it didn't work. It's something that you do and 
it's like going to that gym for the first week or two and you feel like uh, this is just abusive. <laughs> Not normal and I don't think I want to continue this. Just keep pushing on. You got to build that faith muscle. In the old covenant, they built up monuments. Every time God did something good, they'd stack up some stones or build a erect a monument to remember by. You need to do the same thing in your heart, in your mind, in your journal. Write your prayers down and then go back and tell me how many of them were left undone. That track record of God's faithfulness in your life will inspire you and strengthen you in your faith. Because, see, the enemy's not going to quit trying. I don't like to give him any credit or any glory. He's a loser. And he's already been defeated. But God created you in His image. He's a creative being. Everything we know and see, He created with His words. And you are like Him. And you are creating your future with your words today. And if the enemy can trick you into it, he'll get you to do a little creating for him. Yes, he will. I don't want y'all to fall victim to this new normal stuff, you see. That doesn't apply to Christians. Not to believers. It doesn't. It shouldn't. What's normal is for the enemy to continue to try. To try to put sickness on you. To try to put poverty on you. To try to put strife and divorce and shame and all the things that are not of God. To put those things on you. The devil will continue to come against you. And I'm going to tell you this. As, does it ever seem like, man, it's... It's just like so many attacks, so much going on. Why so much warfare? Because we're winning. I used to tell people, hey, listen, I pray for somebody. I say, listen, it might get a little worse. <laughs> but it's gone. What do you mean? I said, well, that's just the devil stomping his feet because he's got to get the heck out of Dodge now, you see. He's going to throw a little temper tantrum. He's going to try you. If he thinks you... He says, I know this guy. You've got familiar spirits. That's what all these people on the street corners, these tarot cards and all that, if they... Most of them are just hoax. But some of them are really witches and try to talk to spirits. But if they ever conjure up somebody that you knew and they say, oh, he liked baseball and he's kind of grumpy guy, right? And, oh, yeah, yeah. What's he saying? That's a devil. That's a demon. That's not that person. If you love that person, why would you want them involved in this when they're with Jesus? They don't know what's going on here. Watch uh, Angelica's testimony sometime on the on uh, YouTube and see it, see what you think about that. But she went up there and she saw Jesus and. He introduced her to Mary. So this was my mother on earth, you know. He said, tell, tell people to stop talking to her 
she can't hear them. That's just one of the things. You please. It's about the devil, I guess. He doesn't deserve any credit for showing anything. You're right, you're right. He didn't fall that night. Taketh by force. So there was a. You heard of Smith Wigglesworth? He was a minister in the 1800s in England, and he he was uh, he was big on that. He thought all sickness was demonic, and and uh, he. I think I've mentioned him quite a few times. Someone would send him a letter from across the country, and by then it was a train or a horse or something like that. And he said he'd write him back and say, if I. If I come, you have to be willing to be healed. Because we're going to be in a room and you're not leaving until you are, you see. (laughs) And there's a lot to be said for that. You have to... You have to get mad at the devil. That's why you were given anger. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the devil and his demons. And you need to get mad at the devil when he's coming against you or your loved ones or your possessions or just anything to do with you. Because you have authority over all of his works, you see. It's unbelief that keeps us from 
from fighting those battles and winning more often. Because you definitely have that authority and you just need to, you need to meditate on these scriptures. You need to, you know, speaking of Andrew Womack, he, you know, when the first time he raised somebody from the dead, he had been meditating on those scriptures for a long time. He had been seeing himself do it in his dreams. It became just a part of his... It was in him, you see. He was prepared because of that. And when it, when it happened, you know, his, his son was five and a half hours dead in the morgue with a toe tag on. And he's alive and well today with kids. And he, Andrew says he doesn't have any more brain damage now than he did before. <laughs> On the way, Andrew began to, you know, everything the enemy does, fear and hurt and all that stuff, when your child is, you told your child is dead, it tried to come against them. They decided to stand in faith. And Andrew began, the Lord reminded him of a prophecy that was spoken over him when he was in Ireland or somewhere minister that didn't know him or anything about him and he had prophesied about his two boys and he had told them some things that they were going to do and do and to be or whatever and they as they were became adults and Andrew remembered that and he remembered it hasn't come to pass yet and he began to get glad and say that first report is not going to be the last and he shared it with Jamie they stayed in faith and, like I said, he's alive and well today. But that's just one example. I could give you hundreds, different ministers. Different. You don't see these things on CNN because they don't believe in it. They would explain it away anyway. That's why when Lazarus said, Lord, go back and tell my brothers now about this place because I don't want them to come to hell. He said, they got Moses and the prophets. They don't believe them. They're not going to believe it if I go tell them or an angel. In other words, they got the word of God. This is more true and more real than anything anybody can ever tell you or show you. Jesus said it's better if you haven't seen and yet believe. Anyway, I just want to let you know that you do have this authority as well as that robe of righteousness. You are created righteous and truly holy. He covered up His filthy garments, which every good work that you could ever do on your own, not giving glory to God, is just as a filthy rag to God. He covered that up with a robe of righteousness. He put a ring of authority on His hand. It doesn't mean that the enemy is going to stop trying. He's going to try, but we're called to resist the devil. And the promise is... He will flee from you. So that 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 childlike faith, if you just take that and just say, I'm just going to believe that. Wow, what a difference it would make in your life if you truly did and you spoke it and you everything that was not of God. First of all, you need to determine good God, bad devil. That makes it easy. Let's see the category here. Bad, bad, that's the devil. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. I'm not having that in my life or in my home or in my family or in my marriage or in my finances. Bank account, get right in the name of Jesus. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. The devil didn't stop trying. But he escaped unharmed, didn't he? Goliath came against David. 
But he died for trying. God's anointed and appointed. The Egyptian army of Pharaoh, they pursued the Israelites into the Red Sea, but they drowned, didn't they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went into that hot fire. But only the ones that threw them in there got burned up. They came out, didn't even smell like smoke. Amen. Amen. The third thing that will interfere, and the last thing with your authority, is disobedience. I know that you don't hear a lot of that these days because they don't want to put anything on the Christian. But it's still a relationship, folks. You tell me one relationship you've ever had that was so one-sided and you just mistreated that person that is still in perfect tact today and they still feel and love and care about you and aren't bitter towards you the same uh, and I will examine that story <laughs> Matthew 21 verses 23 through 32 now, if you want to read about obedience you'll see where the Pharisees they asked Jesus Why, where do you get this authority <laughs> They could tell he was teaching as someone that was had authority. He said, where do you get this authority? And he asked them a question they couldn't answer. He said, well, I ain't going to tell you either. But he knew who his authority came from. He walked in it. He was obedient even unto death. And the last thing he gave that boy was shoes. Put shoes on his feet. In the Old Testament, I'm trying to hurry and finish right here. Remember anything about shoes? Shoes represent rights. In a nutshell. In the Bible. Rights. In other words, when Moses approached the burning bush to speak to God, he told him, take those shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. You want to talk to me, you, you, you put aside all your rights. Same thing to Joshua. When they were outside of Jericho. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta show you this. Joshua chapter five, and then I'll and then I'll finish. Joshua chapter five. This is the only, this is the first town they took, and it was the only one that was done miraculously. The rest of them they had to fight for. Christians still have to fight. He left some of the enemies in the land, God did, just to treat, teach young ones warfare. But Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. I'll show you this. When Joshua was by Jericho, he, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nope. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, 
What does my Lord say to his servant? How do I know that was Jesus? If it were an angel, the angel would have told him to get up and stop worshiping him. This was Jesus, commander of the Lord's army. People still see him hanging on that cross. You need to quit it. (laughs) The next time you see him, that ain't what he's going to look like. (laughs) Commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals. Take off your shoes from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. He wanted to know, you for us or against us? He said, listen, I'm here. I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. And you're going to do it my way and give up all your rights or else. We have to understand about authority. It's delegated to us and we have to walk in obedience. The shoes of sonship, first of all, we have to realize we need to take them off. In our personal relationship with the Lord, we need to say, Lord, I I give up all my rights and privileges and I put all my trust in you, my way, my will. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. You see, that was the problem that caused all the problems. Self-centeredness. We need to cast that aside and then we need to put them back on because we're sons. We need to take up our identity in Christ and learn our place, our place of righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what the enemy throws at you, you need to... Pull out the shield of faith. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have the authority of God to use the name in the name of Jesus Christ and by the blood of the Lamb. No weapon formed against me or my loved ones shall prosper. And every tongue rising up against me, I shall condemn. Because this is the inheritance of the children of God. You need to believe it. You need to walk in it. And you need to practice it. I know a lot of people that believe the scriptures. But they don't actively practice faith. A faith life. And then they expect to be prepared when the attack starts. You see? It's like expecting to win the marathon without ever having... Walked around the track, much less run, you see. These parables, because there was two others. There was one about ten coins that Jesus told. The lady lost one of her silver coins. She searched and searched and found it and she celebrated. Invited all her friends to come and celebrate with her. She found that lost coin. And then there was a man who had a hundred sheep. One of them took off and, and he was just foolish and got lost. The shepherd went and he found the one. He left the ninety-nine, went and found the one. He brought it back and celebrated. Called all his friends. They came and had a party and celebrated. The beginning of that chapter, these Pharisees, 
in Luke 15. They were there watching Jesus and they were saying, look at this guy. He's ministering to prostitutes and tax collectors. Bad people, you see. In their eyes. And so Jesus told this parable, which is really three parables, and all about something lost being found and how there was a party, a celebration, when it was found. Why did he even tell us about the other son? Why did he even mention it? It's all about being lost and being found and happy. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99, you see, which you don't need to. Because of those Pharisees. They were jealous. Because they were religious. They thought, we have earned our standing with God. Just like this oldest son. You see, he he told his daddy, he said, you know, I've served you. First of all, he sees himself as a servant instead of a son. All these years, you've never even given me a goat. That was a lie because he had given him twice as much as he'd given the youngest child. You see? Because that was the way it worked. The oldest boy got twice as much of the inheritance and he had divided it between them. He had already given him hundreds of thousands of goats, whatever. (laughs) And he said, I have never once disobeyed you. That's another lie, isn't it? Because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, folks. And Jesus always blasted these religious hypocrites because he was here to throw birthday parties for prostitutes. And to love on those who thought that they weren't, too, they were, weren't lovely enough to be loved. That were rejected by the world. Who could have gone straight to hell and they would have known why and not even argued. He said, I'm here for you. Uh, We love you. We love you and we want you to be saved. We want you to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just repent and jump on board. The sonship or daughtership of God is really just about the presence, P-R-S-E-N-C-E, presence and provision of God. And you're entitled to all that. Everything Jesus died to provide on the cross through the atonement is the grace of God. So everything that He died to provide, and see, you need to make sure you're hearing the truth because some places you go and they'll teach you that He doesn't work miracles today. Or He put sickness on you to teach you something, or divorce, or strife, or He took a young spouse from you, or something like that because they needed Him more in heaven. You know, I hate those kind of messages. Because it lies and it deceives Christians into being angry with God and running from Him instead of to Him. And they wind up running right into the arms of the deceiver the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, instead of the one who loves them and wants to make them whole again. This parable is really about two things. How much God loves 
retrieving his stolen children and how salvation is all 100% grace and 0% works. Lord, thank you for this day and for your precious word. Lord, I pray that you take this and sew it all together in a way that makes an impression on your children. And they eat the fish and spit out the bones, Lord. <laughs> we love you and we thank you for loving us so much and for providing so perfectly. Thank you that we are your children. And because of that, we are righteous and holy in your eyes. And everything that Jesus has done on our behalf has been credited to, to our account. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for the authority that we've been given so that we don't have to just hold on and muddle through with all the things that the enemy throws at you. We have a power. We have power and and authority over those things and help us to grow in the faith that it takes to overcome the works of the enemy. And we thank you, Lord, for our rights and privileges, mostly just to be in your presence and to know you and to to have you as our Father. Thank you that our names are written in the book of life and that you love us and that our home is in heaven. We're ambassadors here, meanwhile, to do your will and to tell others to help this sick and dying world to come to know you as we have. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.